Hello and welcome to You Got This, a podcast about teaching and learning and pivoting to digital for the whole TRU community. I'm your host, Brenna Clark-Gray, Coordinator of Educational Technologies, and this podcast is a project of your friends at Learning Technology and Innovation. We're housed over in open learning, but we support the whole campus community. I record this podcast in Tkumlipstay-Suetmuk within the unceded traditional lands of Suetmukulu, where I hope to learn and grow in community with all of you. And today's episode is about trust. How do we build it? What happens when we lose it? And how do we move through this particular period and still establish trust? It's not easy. Let's get into it. I've been kind of obsessed with trust this week as I've been helping faculty because I'm sort of, I don't know, maybe overly aware of how badly our first week of classes went with technology. And I'm thinking a lot about a summer that I spent really hoping I was building a trusting relationship with my new community here at TRU. And I think I've spent the last week really worried that the failure of Big Blue Button this week and maybe the shake or the rattle to your online teaching confidence that that represented for many of you would damage the trusting relationship that I really value, that I've built with so many of you, that our office has built. I worry about it for our whole team. And I'm really grateful by the way, to those of you who have taken time just to say, hey, we're thinking of you. We know you didn't break Big Blue Button on purpose to make us mad. Because <laughs> some days, some tickets, I feel a little bit the opposite. <laughs> um, but that's really mattered a great deal to me because I want you to feel like the plans we came up with together this summer are still going to work. Um, Speaking of trust, we've been testing Big Blue Button all day um, with its new server cluster, and we're definitely hoping that week three will be a much smoother experience for everyone. The technology seems to be in place. We've been hammering it pretty hard <laughs> with video all afternoon. I actually had to stop because we were hammering Big Blue Button so hard that my computer fans were kicking on so loudly that I couldn't record the podcast interview I wanted to do today because all you could hear was my fan going, shh. Why did I think you wanted to hear that? Why did I make that sound? I guess I could cut it out, but here's how I think you build trust. I think you build trust by being vulnerable. And we've talked a lot, everyone on our team all week long to faculty about our frustrations with the system and our desire to see it fixed and our concerns for their own teaching and learning experience. And we've worked really hard this week to be even more open um, to the way we resolve problems. And I hope that's helped. I really do think that a lot of the trust we all built together during the summer camp sessions, for those of you who participated, um, was rooted in a willingness to be vulnerable with each other. And I don't know, some days I'm really optimistic. I feel like we have this great moment in the academy right now to remake our conception of 
what the teacher-student relationship looks like and what the collegial relationship looks like, I feel like I spent most of my first few years as a faculty member terrified that someone was going to figure out I didn't belong. (laughs) That old imposter syndrome thing. I was 26 when I finished my PhD and got my first full-time teaching gig. And that was um, challenging, actually, um, for a lot of reasons. I was young and I still felt really vulnerable. And I think I kind of built an armor around that that was very, um, well, it was fake. (laughs) I really tried hard to pretend I didn't miss anything. Like I pretended to know things that I absolutely didn't know. Um, And I was really anxious about people finding out that I was a very uncertain teacher and that I, I didn't trust myself in the classroom. And and I was super scared of students finding out I was a fraud. I was sure that was going to happen. <laughs> um, it wasn't until I learned to trust my students and my colleagues um, with my whole self that I really got comfortable as a teacher. Um, and that's hard to do. It's super hard to do because it depends on context. It depends on... You know, you need to feel safe in order to be able to be vulnerable. But what's nice about this particular moment for the university, and I don't mean our university, I mean for like the university, (laughs) is that um, we're all kind of new to what's happening right now. Even those of us who feel like we know the world of digital pedagogy and higher ed online, we've never done it in a pandemic. Um, And those who are brand new to teaching online are bringing so much enthusiasm and also anxiety to the question of how to teach online that I think we're all in this great moment of learning. And I think in the best sense, we're maybe all in this great moment of vulnerability. None of us know everything about what's going on. And most of the time I feel like I don't know anything. And I think that's a good place to be as a learner if you can trust the people around you to admit that. And so that's why I'm thinking about trust this week. For nine years, I taught two sections a semester of academic writing. It's a lot of academic writing. (laughs) And I didn't really get good at it until I figured out how to be open about the fact that I didn't know everything there was to know about writing. As soon as I got vulnerable about my own process, I think my students stopped trying to feel like there was a secret right answer that I was going for and began to embrace their own ability to make mistakes and learn from them. At least in my most ideal moments, I think that's what happened. I'm hoping that the vulnerability that we all feel right now can translate in a productive way to building relationships of trust with our students. Because gosh, this feels like a moment when we need to trust each other. (laughs) We need to trust each other that we're following Dr. Bonnie's guidelines. We need to trust each other that we're making the best of a difficult situation. We need to trust each other to wear masks and somehow maintain faith in humanity when people don't. I'm talking to you, downtown Kamloops, on a Saturday morning. Oh my God, it's like being gaslit. Wear your masks. Sheepers. 
Because I'm thinking so much about trust, I invited Stephanie Tate to join me because she deals with academic integrity issues on campus and sees it from the student's perspective. The chat's a little longer today, um, but I was really fascinated by what Stephanie had to say. And so I hope you'll indulge a slightly longer episode. Um, More than that, I hope you'll enjoy it. Here's Stephanie. Okay, so for today's chat, I am talking with Stephanie Tate, who is one of my favorite people on campus. Um, Stephanie, if folks don't know who you are and what you do, I would love it if you would introduce yourself. And I also like people to say sort of, how might folks have come into contact with you on campus in the before times? In the before time. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Brenna, for in- first off, for inviting me. Um, you are one of my favorite people, too. F- shout out to Chris Chris Adam for introducing us. Yay. I think she listens, you know. Oh, my gosh. Hey, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, if she doesn't, you know, I'm going to tweet tweet at, tweet it at her and be like, hey, Chris, Dean of Students. Um <laughs> Yes. So hello, everyone. My name is Stephanie Tate. Um, I'm a learning strategist for academic integrity here on campus, uh, supporting both campus and open learning students. And if you, the befores, uh, I was a student at TRU. Um, I completed my undergrad uh, just in December. And you probably would have seen me as a peer mentor, as an orientation and transition ambassador. Um, I was the co-op student for orientation and transitions for three terms because I loved it so much. Hmm. Sorry, Julie Taylor, you couldn't get rid of me. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so just kind of around campus, always always looking to connect folks to community, right? Whether it was like another peer mentor group or another instructor, just kind of, I I guess, making my mark. I love it. Yeah. Um, Here's something I didn't know before I met you. What does a learning strategist for academic integrity do? Good question. Thanks. Right? (laughs) Yes. What do I do? I do a lot. Um, My main role, though, is education and supporting students. So I am kind of the go-to person for students when, unfortunately, they've had a breach of the academic integrity policy from TRU and they get that official-looking email, there's definitely some panic and some uncertainty. And so students can reach out to me at AIC at TRU.ca. And then I can respond and kind of just like coach them through that process of like, what does this look like? You know, what's going to happen now? Who's going to sign? You know, what, who is the committee made up of? Um, Are there students on the committee? That's always a definite question. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I do some education like I did last year with you. Um, We did some education together where, you know, you're tabling on student streets and, and providing information to students. I think a lot of folks don't know um, when we talk about academic integrity, they kind of just brush it off and they think, okay, yeah, don't cheat, don't plagiarize. Okay, check, check. Where, you know, folks are more interested in like, how busy is my November going to be? Or how busy is my March going to be? Um, I know as a student, that was kind of my thought process when I would mm-hmm. read the course syllabus. Um, it wasn't really until I got into this role where I realized how large of a problem um, academic integrity is. I was thinking about your workload because we hear all the time that this is a really big problem on campus and in open learning, both sides of the house. Um, in an average week, how many students do you think you come into contact with? Or, or would it terrify you 
you to even keep track of those numbers. <laughs> um, it does terrify me a little bit. Um, I don't probably keep track on like a weekly. It's more like a mm. monthly. Sure. They're in the hundreds. Um, wow. Yeah, it's it's a busy time, but I feel like my role is important because they're student I, I never would want a student to feel like they're just kind of floating out there in the ocean and yeah. no one's kind of throwing them a life uh you know a little lifesaver mm-hmm. they need a lifesaver they need someone to kind of just like grab onto to understand process to share their concerns to you know to ask those questions that perhaps maybe they're not comfortable asking faculty or staff you know in their program those questions so yeah yeah do you encounter most students once they've already violated or been accused of violating academic integrity policy, or do you get a lot of students reaching out proactively for help? I'd love to say yes, but mm. no. Mm. I know. It's usually mm. after the fact where um, it's either a panic where they've perhaps maybe dismissed the initial email from their instructor and now the email has come from our office and so they're like oh my gosh this is a legit thing like what do I do right or um folks where instructors have um copied me in on an email or provided my email and and said like hey you can reach out to this person and she can help Oh, that's good. I didn't yeah. know faculty did that. That's an awesome I think thing. that's so great, right? Because mm-hmm. they've made that relationship already with the student. They are then showing the student, like, I've taken you as far as I can go for the sake mm-hmm. of the integrity piece. You know, let's pass you over to a learning strategist who can support you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then students don't really then feel like they've just been kind of like left in the dust. It's also less adversarial, I think, to have the instructor actually hand you off to somebody who cares rather yes. than just be like, not you responding. cheated and I'm never talking to you right? again. I'm not going to respond to your email. No. Yeah. 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 Oh, I think that your job must be really emotionally hard. Um, like, you must yeah. have students who are really upset a lot of the time. They, Yes. <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm just they thinking are. back into I'm thinking back to the initial pivot in March and how much panic our office was absorbing from faculty. And it took me quite a few weeks to realize that um part of my sort of fatigue and exhaustion was about absorbing all that panic. And you must absorb a lot of panic. You do. You absorb a lot of folks' emotions. They're yeah. panicked, they're stressed. Um, there's work per- or study permits on the line that then lead to work permit applications. Mm-hmm. There's transfer students. There's students that are taking OL courses from TRU, but are actually enrolled in other institutions. You know, mm-hmm. the ad drop date of, you know, Monday is pending. And so lots of students that of course, from summer are waiting, um, and it can be, it can be difficult to kind of separate that you can't really cut that cord. When you're an empathic person, you tend to take on um, those emotions and those feelings that you feel from folks. And, and I wouldn't want it any other way. I feel like that makes me um, excel in my role that I can be there for that student and, and provide that support, but it is draining for sure. Yeah, there's a cost to you for that. I think we talk a lot about care and I'm increasingly interested in how, ways in which the institution does and doesn't support care um and I'm 
not going to make you comment on that here, but it is just something I'm just perpetually interested in is seeing who bears the brunt of the affective labor of the institution. Um, and sometimes, shockingly enough, it seems to be gendered. Yes, totally. <laughs> right. I think yeah. it's very true. Um, most folks on my, well, everyone on my team is, are women with a, a strong social work background on our team. Um, so for that caring um, social work perspective, um, my, my team, though, is really supportive. Um, we are a group of four now um, with five with our manager plus then our case managers. We have, also have another learning strategist. We support one another in terms of like we're all dealing with the negative. I, I mm. hate to use that term, but, mm. you know, it kind of is. We don't really it's never really. Folks aren't really happy to talk to me, usually. <laughs> Let's just put that out there, right? I've been um, accused of plagiarism, <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> um, the best person I had was this summer where they ended the email, and they were like, you were fantastic. Thanks Aww. so much. Aww. I never want to talk to you again. Aww. And I was like, fair. <laughs> like, I don't want to talk to you again. Um, right? Like, those are the those are the best interactions I have where you know, you definitely feel like you've made a difference in a student's, in a student's uh, life. Yeah. Um, the theme of today's episode is trust, which is part of why I wanted to talk to you today, because <laughs> you deal a lot in trust and in ramifications of maybe failures of trust in the institution. And um, I'm thinking about how in your, what I assume are relatively short interactions with students, like you're engaging with them typically through the process of an academic integrity complaint. Would that be true? Yes. How do you establish a relationship of trust with a student so they know that they can talk to you? Well, and I, before I let you answer, no, yeah. that your on-campus office was one of the chillest <laughs> places I have ever been. And I immediately felt like I could absolutely spill my guts out to you Aww, in that space because it was so really, nice. like you could clearly put thought into how the physical space of your office um, impacted students, but now you don't have that. So I'm wondering how that changes in a, in a virtual delivery mode too. So just answer all those questions. Okay. All of them <laughs> and go. It was, thank you for the comment. Um, I so miss my office space on campus. Um, but I, I think that was important when I was creating the space for when we were face to face, because I think that it was important for me when students crossed that threshold for them to know that a, they could take a breath mm -hmm. and let that out and they could share what they needed to share. Because usually when I had, and even now when I have virtual conversations with students, whether it's over the telephone or even email, um, it's a roundabout process to get to the actual academic integrity violation. There's always so much more that you mm -hmm. are unpacking for the student. So in this virtual world, um, it's a lot of holding space for students. It's a lot of providing empathy and it's a lot of providing um, compassion for mm. their story, their situation. Um, I, I truly do believe that sometimes students, unfortunately, are in a high stress time and they make a mistake mm -hmm. for sure. Um, and I unfortunately, you've made a mistake, but now you will have to deal with the ramifications of that mistake. But let's walk through that process together. You know, mm -hmm. you, you're not alone. Let's, let's go through this together. And I'm here to support you in that way. Um, I don't want folks 
that are listening to this to be kind of like rolling their eye and be like, oh, sure. Yes, I get it. I for sure there are folks out there that are blatantly cheating and and choosing to use um, situations and websites and, and services that are definitely against the policy for sure. But I also see a fair share of students that, you know, the intent was there with the for example, citation, but mm-hmm. maybe they didn't have the whole picture. Mm-hmm. They still had, they had part of it there. Okay. So where can I, where can I, how can I serve the student the best way? You know, how can I tell them about the resources that are available to them and, and how to, how to perhaps not make this mistake again? Yeah, I think, I guess, I mean, this is very articulate, Brenna. This is a great interview. I, <laughs> I feel like I want to know and I'm not sure if you want to answer this, so you can you can say no. But okay. you see so many students. You see so many – you see the entire range, I guess, of academic integrity violations, um, far more than any individual faculty member will in their experience. And I wonder if there's anything – if you could tell faculty anything about the process or the experience for students, or is there anything about your role that you really wish faculty knew and understood? There's so many, there's so many things with that question. I keep doing um, this to people in interviews. I'm like, tell me one thing. Tell me one. Yes, I, re- I listened to John's interview yesterday and he was like, there's so many things. And I was like, I wonder if I'm going to say that tomorrow. There are so many things, Bretta. Um, I think, I think, so let's just break it down to like, uh, we're in this virtual situation now. So we don't have an opportunity for, let's look at face-to-face courses where you could ask the student to drop by your office hour and or pull them after class and have a conversation to then you know say can you come by my office hour where a student could then see your facial expression and tone and inflection and your body you know how you're portraying yourself so can we if it's possible present that in an email Mm. um you know can tone and compassion and perhaps a little bit of kindness come through when we are saying, Hey, Stephanie, I reviewed your paper. I've noticed some plagiarism. Can we have a chat about that? I'm open, mm-hmm. you know, during 12 to four today, um, there's options for you to call me on the telephone. If you don't want to do like a face to face, because that would feel very uncomfortable for someone like myself, I would feel comfortable just doing this on the telephone, you know, providing them with options rather than just like, here's an email, Stephanie, your paper has plagiarism. This is against the TRU policy, you know, please sign the paper. A little bit of just that, I know it's a little bit extra work and I know that nobody needs that right now, (laughs) but just to put yourself in that receiving end of that email and how it must feel for that student. You know, it's a good point because when you said off the top, like by the time they get an email from your office, it's likely that they've you know, potentially ignored an email from the professor. Mm-hmm. And my first response, like my adult response was like, why would you ignore that email? <laughs> and then I'm like, oh no, I could totally see ignoring that email. Like yeah. I need to renew a prescription right now. And I'm not a family doctor. And like the labor that goes into that is just such a pain in the butt that I'm putting it off, right? right? That's a stupid thing to put off, but I'm just doing it because I don't want to deal with it. And yeah. I can only imagine what like an academic integrity violation would feel like right now when I don't even want to fill a stupid prescription, you know? It's, like we're all just dealing with so much and we're so all much. just at the I, – I think a lot of us 
and I include myself, find ourselves at the breaking point a lot more often than usual. And I think like that sort of turtle reaction is not uncommon. Yes. I think that it would be so daunting to be on the receiving end of that email from your instructor and, you know, thinking like, but I put in the, I put in the comma, you know, Mm -hmm. I put in the quotations, it's in my references page, um, you know, and not to be able to not be able to have that conversation. And I'm not saying that I, I don't want uh, faculty and staff to feel like I'm saying to encourage that conversation of, of, you know, I didn't do this. Yes, you did. I did. You know, like, no, mm-hmm. just more of that conversation of this is what I'm seeing mm-hmm. and allowing that student that just that moment. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that when you do, it's going to, you know, result in a conversation of you taking back that form. No, but it maybe just provides that student that opportunity to see, oh, okay, here's where I went wrong. Mm -hmm. Here, at least moving forward, well, this is for assignment, say, two. At least moving forward for assignment three, four, and five, I know not what to do, and I know that there are resources out there, and okay, yes, I'm going to connect with Stephanie with academic integrity. I guess that segues kind of nicely into my next question for you, which is, what do you think students don't know or don't maybe even don't have the opportunity to learn about academic integrity? Like, is there a common suite of issues that you see across your desk kind of over and over again? And you're like, oh, I just wish we could X. (laughs) I think there's a few for sure. I think that um, social media is definitely up their game in terms of contract cheating sites like Course Hero and Chegg.com, um, where they promote their services to students using our hashtags, um, creating content that looks like something that institutions would put out. Um, and so students look at it and they're like, oh, cool. Like it says my TRU, like hashtag my TRU. So mm-hmm. that must be legit. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, it's like a study guide. It's like Quizlet. No. Any students, if you choose to listen to this, let me tell you, no. Um, If it sounds too good to be true, there is that saying, if it sounds too good to be true, it's probably, right, like it's wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, So how do we, um, how do we support students in, in knowing that, you know, uploading information to an online source like Chegg to share with other classmates is against the policy, you wouldn't yeah. do that if you were in a face-to-face class. Well, some folks did, but mm-hmm. we're seeing a lot. We saw a lot of that this summer with the end of uh, winter semester online and then summer session one, two, and three, where folks were using websites like that. Hiring a, you know, hiring someone to write your paper, probably not the best choice to make, <laughs> right? You don't say. Um. <laughs> Probably better to take the paper with, you know, the less polished look, Um, you know, sometimes you have to take that C plus and and really learn from that. And and it's okay. Um, Your writing is supposed to evolve as you are a student. Mm -hmm. That is what someone told me. And I hope that's true because my writing is definitely evolving, which I feel is good. I was going to say, it's not just while you're a student, <laughs> right? Evolves forever. Yeah, forever. Yeah. You're constantly learning. Um, yeah. I really think that um, folks just look for opportunities online 
and they think that their instructors or their professors are just not going to be aware Mm -hmm. when we burst that bubble Mm -hmm. faculty and staff instructors everyone's aware um this information is is out there and so you know um faculty members are checking your papers they're running it through plagiarism and checkers they they're looking online to see if the source that you've cited in your paper is an actual source you know they're checking google maps to see is there a sidewalk on that you know um paper that you've written about that, that's like a side segue which i won't get into but you know if you're fabricating information and saying there's a sidewalk on the street in camos rest assured that your instructor is probably going to check to make sure there's a sidewalk on that street hello google maps yeah um yeah can i tell you about the first case of plagiarism i ever caught as a ta yes so this is many years ago uh i think it would have been 2005 and uh it was my first term ever as a ta and the student submitted um this analysis of the Wilfred Owen poem, Dulce et Decorum Est, about the First World War. And I'm very into the First World War poets. Like, I just love them. And You're the such analysis- a geek. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very cool thing to be into. Okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> Anti-war poetry from the First World War is an extremely cool interest to have. And so <laughs> I knew and loved the poem. And the analysis was fine. Like, it wasn't good. But it wasn't bad. It was a first year poetry analysis. And I didn't really even think anything of it because it was so unremarkable as an analysis. And then I was like putting the paper back into my little folder after marking it. And I (laughs) happened to notice the back of the paper where, where God love this student. Uh, They had printed the essay they were submitting on the back of the essay they had stolen the analysis oh, from. Oh my gosh. I mean, credit to them for being environmentally like, friendly. Good. Like on the one hand, uh-huh. you care about the planet. This is like 2005. It wasn't even that cool then. Right. And yet, on the other hand, and I remember writing on it, like plagiarism, please see over. Like, oh my goodness. What do you even do with that? Wow. But I've thought about that ever since because, you know, there's a couple of ways to read that scenario. Like I definitely, at the time, I was like 22, I was like, this student must think I'm an idiot. (laughs) That's how I decided to read that situation, right? This student thinks I'm a complete idiot. But the older, more mature version of myself (laughs) reads that situation and says like, oh, wow, this is an act of complete panic, right? To not even realize that you had printed it on the same paper is a complete act of panic and terror. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's so true, right? Like how many papers are written at the 11th hour, literally, before yep. they're, you know, meant to be submitted at 11.59. One of yep. the greatest things that I love about um, professors that I love professors that build into their um, course content, like your analysis slash, you know, whatever that fancy word is called, abstract, yes, Mm -hmm. abstract, Mm -hmm. is due here. Then, you know, um, your main draft is full, is due three weeks later, Mm -hmm. and then I'll review it. And then you have another opportunity if you wish to submit your final draft. I mean, I don't know if people do, if folks do this in their undergrad, but I'm finding in my MED program, especially this semester, one of my classes is built like that. That's so handy for someone like myself because I do panic, right? Um, And I... 
wait and do my research and enjoy. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, it's 3,500 words or 4,000 words or whatever the amount is. It's usually higher. And then I'm panic writing, but then I never get an opportunity to like proof my work, leave mm-hmm. it for a couple of days and, and come back. So mm-hmm. when that opportunity is provided, I think students just learn so much better. It's good pedagogy. And we also know from research, it has a strong insulating impact on academic integrity. Like for a bunch of reasons, one, you've removed the stress and the panic from the situation, but two, it's really expensive to buy all five components assignments than to just, you know what I mean? (laughs) As opposed to just buying the one research essay. So yeah. Um, I do sometimes wish as faculty, we were more honest with students about the writing process. And it's certainly something I came to like late in my career as a composition instructor, but I've been thinking about it a lot because I have an article that was due on Tuesday. It's not, it's not done. (laughs) And um, I think about how common extensions are in sort of like, we talk about, you know, we're preparing students for the quote unquote real world. Well, in my real world as an academic, extensions are extremely common. I've edited journals and book projects and no one has ever submitted anything to me on time in the history of my life Mm -hmm. (laughs) as an academic. You know what I mean? Yeah. process is important. It's hard. Writing is hard. Um, It doesn't get less hard. And finding time and space to think is difficult, especially now. And I think maybe if we could be more open with students about that part of things, that too might alleviate some of the panic and stress. Like no one's expecting you to turn in a perfect essay. Totally. And, And learning from, you know, what you wrote five weeks ago to then coming back and like working through that process, I think really, like you said, allows for students to really just see like, okay, here's where my idea was very raw and very rough, which I thought was like a perfect paper, (laughs) but here through (laughs) reflection and like peer editing opportunities and like my, you know, professor looking at it, oh, I can see where I can like tighten it up a little bit. You know, um, we don't all have fabulous friends like Pamela Fry, who's a fabulous (laughs) colleague of mine, who, you know, will help me edit my papers. And, you know, that's one of the biggest things that she has said to me that, you know, provide yourself with a little bit more time. But you're right, we're in this like, panic mode of like, okay, I have to get this paper done. Because if I don't get this paper done now, then my Mm -hmm. next paper for my other classes do or my project and my group project. Mm -hmm. So it, it is, it is a lot of just grace providing Mm -hmm. grace, providing Mm -hmm. compassion, um, a little bit of vulnerability from an instructor to say that this is a process and it's not going to be perfect and let's work through this process together, Um, you know, to then maybe having students come out of a course be like, okay, like that was not actually too bad. I, I learned, I came out of that from, you know, what I thought was a stellar paper to now week five five weeks later being like, oh, look at how I've tightened this up and look at how I was able to bring in this, this quote, more fluid, Mm -hmm. you know, um, it, like anything, writing takes practice. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And time and space and chances. I think chances are a big part of it. Yes. And trust in yourself, right. Mm -hmm. To know that, um, it, we, we do live in this world of like, perfection right we look at it in an online version all the time as you're scrolling whatever twitter instagram for those folks who scroll facebook um (laughs) 
it's but life's not like that and and neither are our studies like sometimes I think you learn more from getting that C plus mm-hmm. than you do from that A minus. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Hurts though. It does <laughs> for sure. When you look at it on your transcripts, I remember my C minus that I got from my first midterm in my undergrad and I didn't even go to the class the next day to like learn where I went wrong. I was like, Oh no, yeah. this is a stay at home time. Totally. But older, wiser me now realizes that those are just opportunities to learn from. It's a really good place to end that because also we fixed academic integrity as an issue, I think. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks so much for coming to chat, Stephanie. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much. Have a lovely day. You too. We'll talk soon. Okay. So that, my friends, is it for episode four. Four of You Got This. As always, if you want to write to us, you can email me at bgray at tru.ca and I'm on Twitter at Brenna C. Gray. In both cases, that's gray with an A. All of our show notes and transcripts are posted at yougotthis.truebox.ca and of course you can always comment on individual episodes there. I'm going to leave you today with a tiny teaching tip about trust. Is there an aspect of your course material that you really personally struggled with when you were first learning it? I can think of a million things that I struggled with when it came to learning how to write, but the thing I always used to talk to students about first was conclusions. I suck at writing conclusions. I procrastinate on finishing papers, articles, conference papers, chapters, because I'm going to have to write a conclusion, and my conclusions still the first draft of every conclusion I write is still just a restatement of the thesis statement. And I always hope it's going to be enough and it never is. <laughs> I wonder if you can think of what that one thing is in your course material that you struggled with so much and maybe try to talk about it with students this week. If that seems too scary, I hope you'll think about other ways that you can provide some insight to your students about the learning process that you've gone through. I think it builds trust for our students to remember that we were there not so long ago or so long ago, depending. Sometimes it feels like both to me. I feel like I say this every week, but what even is time? (laughs) Let's try to be a little vulnerable this week and let's build a little trust with each other. Until next time, we'll talk soon. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. (laughs) 